0: Welcome, listeners, to another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a wonderful show in store for you today. We have a returning guest joining us as the playwright William Muir, and with him is the director, Jess Reed. They are working together on a virtual reading of William's uh, play, Lizzie Borden, Life After Death. And that's taking place via YouTube on January 28th of 2023 at 7 p.m. William, Jess, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Uh, It's good to be back. (laughs) (laughs) Kept it warm for you. (laughs) I am so excited to hear about this play, Lizzie Borden, Life After Death. I mean, I'm a true crime obsessed person and Lizzie Borden, I think, is one of the most iconic, you know, stories uh, of all of all time. One of those great murder
1: mysteries, you know, Uh,
0: William, why don't you tell us a little bit about this?
1: Absolutely. So for those of you who are not true crime obsessed like us, Lizzie Borden was famously acquitted for the double axe murder of her father and stepmother in 1892 it was kind of the crime of the century and so lizzie borden life after death is a play that i wrote that takes place 13 years after the acquittal in 1905 lizzie and her sister or elizabeth as she went by after the trial is living with her sister emma on in a mansion on this beautiful section of fall river called the hill they're trying to just live a life comfortably outside of the shadows of the crime. And when a figure from Lizzie's past just unexpectedly shows up on her doorstep, she's kind of forced to face her demons and relive her past and make a decision of what secrets she wants to hold and what's important to her.
0: I'm already hooked. I, I love when we go past where the, the typical story ends and we just keep going, you know, see where the, the film cuts short. How did you come up with this show or come upon the show, William?
1: So like you, I've been fascinated with Lizzie Borden for forever. I actually got introduced to the story through the musical Lizzie, if you've ever heard of that, which if you haven't, is a four-woman rock musical about the trial, which is fabulous, cannot recommend it enough. And I was just hooked on this story and... It was in college, right around the time I was getting ready to do my senior thesis, which I've talked about in the previous episode I did with you. And I remember I was driving home and I had Lizzie Borden on my brain. And I was like, why not just write about this? And yeah, I started developing the story. I kind of based it a lot on the stuff I was studying in college. So I kind of styled it sort of as like the Lizzie Borden case meets a doll's house. Ooh. So yeah, that's kind of just where my brain went with it. And I did a bunch of readings of it when I was in college. And then we were originally supposed to have a production of this play in October. But unfortunately, things just kind of panned out. But I was like, you know what? We still have this show. We still have a bunch of people who are interested. So I just reached out to Jess and I was like, let's just let's just do a reading. Let's just do something fun with this. And here we are.
0: Yeah. And that's, that was going to lead me to my next place, which is
2: Jess. how did you get involved in all of this? So I met Billy acting. We were, that was Amadeus when we first met. Yes. So we worked together uh, on that. And then we kind of started doing this little like writers group. It didn't last very long, but we kind of got together with some other people once or twice and we would like share writing. And, uh, you know, he asked me to take a look at it and I loved it. Like I immediately read the script and was like oh i want to be involved in this please thank you <laughs> that's incredible so what has it been like developing this show uh jess so a lot of the development i think was kind of done by billy um but i've been we've only had one like real rehearsal so far uh because <laughs> of the way the schedule worked out and it was with lizbeth and our bridget sullivan who's the uh housemaid and the just the the development of those few scenes with those actors has already just evolved incredibly in my head so yeah that's the that is the development that i'm currently working on and um hearing it read out loud is just so wonderful um to to hear these scenes and see these these actors yeah so that's that's where i'm at right now
1: Yeah, and I will say we got very lucky with our cast. Like I remember we did our first sort of table read of the script and not planned at all. We kind of, after we read the script, just kind of launched into like a full half hour just conversation about Lizzie Borden Mm -hmm. and the crimes. And I was like, wow, we we have a cast that is into this. So just having that kind of energy with people approaching the script has been very fun as well. Mm
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, I, I want to just tack on with, with you, William. What has it been like developing this show as well? Because you said you wrote this your senior year. You started writing this.
1: My first draft was in 2019. And it's just been a very interesting adventure with this piece. Because like this is probably the most I've ever done developmentally for a play like I even went as far as like back when I was in college I got to visit the Lizzie Borden house in Fall River Massachusetts where the crimes actually occurred and so I've been on like a very long journey with this play and so getting to revisit it and kind of just relook at some of the stuff that I've written has been very fun because like I said there was a lot of influence I took from the stuff I was studying in college So like things like Chekhov, Ibsen, and I'm reading it now, like years later, and I'm like, I see what you were trying to do, let's refine that, because some of <laughs> this is a little blocky.
0: <laughs> but stuff that you look at when, that like, you thought was great way back in the day, and you're like, what
1: was I thinking? Oh. <laughs> oh, yes, I remember there was, I was having a Chekhov moment, and I remember there was one line, I think it was Bridget, where she just, straight up declares I am very unhappy and I'm like I see what you were doing let's make that a little subtler
2: (laughs) oh no so we do have Chekhov's axe like the axe shows up yes
1: (laughs) we have Chekhov's hatchet
2: um how is this the
0: first full reading of the show or has it been you know workshopped or whatnot in the
1: past So funny enough, when I was writing this for my senior thesis, part of the thesis project was not only writing the play, but also learning play development. So I had three readings of it while I was in college. And then I had one reading, I want to say late 2019 or early 2020, through the theater company that I met Jess with. But besides that, it really hasn't been touched that much. So it's been... Very much, it kind of feels like visiting an old friend. It's like, oh, hello, old friend. let's let's jive again. let's Let's talk murder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is the message or the thought that you're hoping audiences will take away from this? And Jess, why don't I start with you first on that?
2: Oof, oof, ok. So I think this play is really and Billy can correct me on anything I have said, but I feel like this play is really a lot about trauma. It's about personal trauma and how it affects the people around you. Not even necessarily, you know, well, I'm so traumatized, I'm gonna go murder them. That's not exactly what we're looking at here, but this trauma and how you carry it and how it affects you. And even that attempt to heal from the trauma can still cause harm it's it's such a deep and insightful piece it really is and and you know working with the actress playing Lisbeth, um we've had some really interesting conversations about masking and you know acting as a character who then is acting you know less in a play within a play kind of context but that I need to protect myself, this is what I need to do, and how that can kind of go wrong sometimes. I I think as a person who has some traumas in the past, we won't go into too much detail, but if you hold them too close to you, they can hurt you more, I think. And and I think it's I, I think it's important to uh, you know, to have that discussion about, about it and, and to be more open with it because keeping it so close inside and holding on to it because you're afraid of it is just, it's gonna make things worse.
0: Yeah. And that's an important message I think to, to get across to people. What a great show and what a great story to be communicating with, to use to communicate that. William, what about you? What is the message uh, or thought you're hoping audiences will take away with you being the playwright?
1: So kind of in a similar vein to Jess, I very much agree the show is about trauma. More specifically, I want to say abuse. I won't go into too much detail, but for me, one of the things I really wanted to explore with Lizzie Borden in particular as a character, because it's so funny, we know so much about Lizzie Borden as the historic individual, but really our popular conscious of her is kind of just, it's kind of become more American mythology than like actual crime, Because there are so many things that people claim is truth, but there's no real evidence for it. And so, especially using such a familiar figure as Lizzie Borden, I kind of have this feeling where, like, people immediately view – how do I phrase this? So there's the phrase, monsters are not born, they are made. Mm -hmm. And so if we're necessarily looking at Lizzie Borden as, quote-unquote, a monster – How did she get there? What Mm -hmm. factors led to this person getting to that breaking point? Because if we're going to call Lizzie Borden a monster, why? I mean, what are the humans reach a breaking point? And I feel like, especially if we're looking at Lizzie Borden and all the factors that were at her life, we can really kind of examine what led someone to reach this breaking point and kind of just Maybe even reassess what we think as monstrous. Yes,
0: actually, that's interesting that you say that because um, there's two great podcasts I've listened to that have discussed this. Uh, you know, the uh, Lizzie Borden's crime, and both start like the day of the murder, but they never discuss kind of what what happened before. Where most most crimes and whatnot, you, there's 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 you know breadcrumbs that you can see where the, the patterns and whatnot are emerging. And all we know is, you know, Lizzie Borden apparently like snapped one day and hacked her parents with an axe. And it's like, did she like, are we sure we know everything that that went on? Are we sure the parents were victims? Like we only have one side of the story and think about how long ago it was and how accurate records are. And especially now with the idea of the history we know is only the history that we've allowed to be told and there's so many other stories coming out now, it's it's fascinating that that's your kind of interpretation where it's like maybe the wrong stories being communicated, the wrong person's interpretations been getting passed on and we've missed something in that mix.
2: It's it's funny you should say that because there's a lot within the play about the story being told and who's telling it, even if it's it's Lisbeth's recollections of it or what somebody else recalls of that and how it happened. It's actually really like ingrained in the text, I think. That that idea of who's who's telling these stories. Ooh, I'm
0: oh, I'm so excited. I'm my interest is so piqued. So wrapping up the first part of our interview, I want to ask, who do you hope have access to this? And William, I'm going to start with you on that one.
1: Again, I don't necessarily feel like it's a very generic answer, but I kind of feel like I want this to be open to everyone. Like I'm always very much a person who believes that we come to the theater to have a conversation and discuss what we see and just kind of discuss our human nature, because that's what theater is meant to do. Tell human stories and kind of examine our own lives through that. So, rather, I kind of want people to come to this show and maybe they know about Lizzie Borden, maybe they don't, but especially for the people who do know Lizzie Borden's story, maybe to come in and maybe reassess what they do know and maybe how it affects their lives. Really, just maybe necessarily the Lizzie Borden that is ingrained in the popular con- conscience isn't the Lizzie Borden that existed. And rather, what is Lizzie Borden? this horrible person, or is there something human that we can empathize with her? I like that.
0: Jess,
2: how about you? Uh, Who do you hope have access to this?
1: So I really,
2: you know, kind of bouncing off of what, what Billy said, conversations, I think are are really what theater is and, and connection. And I think it's really important that Everyone has access to theater. Um, I'm always been a big fan of when I lived in Portland. If you if you had a a snap card, you can get $5 tickets at certain theaters like literal accessibility is so important, which I think it's actually great that we're doing a virtual reading because I think this will have a farther reach, you know, we're not charging $80 for you to come down and sit and and watch a play, you know, we want to share this with people. So if you can, you know, if you can get to a computer, which granted, not everybody can, even in this virtual work from home age, you know, I think it's important. I think it's important that whoever wants to participate in that conversation can.
0: I, and I love that you both emphasize accessibility so hard, you know, because it it is so important that everyone has the ability to access the performing arts and be involved in this conversation, especially because a lot of stories are about those very people and they should have a say in it.
1: Everyone Mm -hmm. deserves a
0: seat at the table, period, the end.
1: Absolutely, like Lizzie Borden, yes, it's rooted in history and it's very much a period piece, but I feel especially with our Lizzie, there's a lot that we can carry over into our own modern era and the conversations, because. It's a human story at its root and everyone should have access to these kinds of stories and be allowed to have their seat at the table.
0: shift things a bit and focus a little bit more on you two so that our, uh, audience can get to know you. And the first question I want to ask is what playwrights, composers, or shows in the past have inspired you, or do you love?
2: And Jess, I'm going to start with you on this question. Okay. So one of my favorite things that I feel like doesn't get used a lot is Commedia dell'arte. I have always been fascinated with it as a as a way of constructing character as an actor and as a director you know you can talk about you know the the archetypes and the masks and all that kind of in the comedy but i feel like there's a certain physicality with comedia that i i really enjoy drawing on yeah I, I i like to include it even if it's not necessarily you know a piece that you would normally associate it with i'm also a big nerd for shakespeare um <laughs> which sounds kind of trite, but I I I'm actually part of a, a group that we do monthly readings. We pick a play and anybody who wants to can sign up and we'll organize as many readings of it that month as we can and because I feel like in the same way, you know, you think, Oh well, it's Shakespeare, it's all elevated and it's a period piece or whatever. But there's something just so human about the the characters that he writes about. And and I think it's hard for me to think of like particular playwrights other than, you know, Shakespeare. I love seeing original pieces. We don't have a lot of it on Long Island. There's not a lot of support for new playwrights. So, you know, when Billy was like, I have the show that I wrote and I was like, please, please let me read it. And I got to to work on a, an original musical uh, that a couple of friends of mine uh, wrote together. And that was so rewarding. So those are the people that inspire me, the people who are doing the new stuff.
0: William, I know you've been on our show before, so um, I- I'll ask you again, but has anything changed uh, since, your, since your last appearance on our show?
1: Nothing terribly. I will say, like I talked last episode, like touching back on what you just said earlier, you go to the movies for realism, you go to the theater for suspension of disbelief. And that's what I love about the theater. And while I will say my Lizzie Borden life after death It's definitely one of my more grounded plays in realism, but there's definitely some wacky shit that goes on. Like, I, it's not necessarily like fantastical, but it's like heightened reality. And it was very fun to play with. And I will say, just because I don't think about it often, but I, you bringing that up, Jess, I forget how much I love Commedia dell'arte. Like, there's a very specific performance in mind that I remember renting from when i was in high school from the library it was like a great performances dvd of taming in the shrew in style of community delarte and i remember watching for the first time and i'm like what is this this is fantastic and again it's fun and i forget how much i love it until i see it again and also just kind of touching back what you said yes it's lowbrow yes it's common but theater can be that like i hate I think this it notion should be that i hate this notion that theater has to be this very fancy very exclusive thing no everyone should be welcome to the theater theater is for everyone get off your high horse and yeah like come through come be friends let's have a conversation that's what this is meant for it's community
0: have either of you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners uh william why don't we start with you on that one
1: Oh God! It's been so long since I've been in a theater. I feel, but I will say, I the last one that comes in my memory was I did get to see the invited dress of Ohio State murders, and I thought that was fabulous. Like just Audra McDonald. Full stop. Enough said. But I will say, just I went to that show completely unaware of what the show was. Completely cold. But it was just such an interesting story. And just, again, very minimal, but very evocative and effective and guttural, which is what I love about the theater. So I was like, this is my new favorite thing. I want this everywhere. So yeah, Ohio State Murders. Please catch it before it closes. Yes.
0: And if I can just tag on, we we talked about who's telling the story and whatnot. What I loved about that show is it was that playwright's story or, you know, yeah, I think it was her story if I remember right, but coming, being told and Audra and her character basically did all the talking. Everybody else except for the professor and then her aunt had seldom few lines, but for the 90 minutes we were there, it was her telling the story, finally. It was her turn to tell the story. And I loved that so much. And I was like, finally, you get the chance. That we get to hear your side because for, you know, 60 years, no one knew her side of the story. She kept quiet and finally here it is. And, you know, tying that into your guys' show, we don't know the whole, we don't know the whole thing. No one invented time travel yet. So we don't know what happened. So,
1: yeah. And kind of on a similar vein, like I will say writing Lizzie when I was in college, because I talked about it a little bit on the last episode of the podcast, Like, there was some not some fun stuff happening when I was in college. And I think that's kind of just in my own life. And I think that's also kind of why I gravitated to the Lizzie Borden story so much, especially is because, like, this woman went through so much, she reached her breaking point. And if she did it, she took action. Like, again, not necessarily saying go murder your parents, but again, it was just. I don't know why, there's a lot of just, especially in the modern, I feel like our modern society actually kind of taken the Lizzie Bourne story and kind of flipped it from this murderous heathen to like almost as like a triumphant, like a triumphant story against- Like a hero, like an
0: anti-hero almost, yes.
2: kind of yeah. She's a badass bitch. I'm sorry, can we- She
0: speak? absolutely is. You can absolutely yes. swear if you need to, yeah. yeah
1: so. <laughs> I find a lot of myself in Lizzie Borden, so it is very fun also sharing that story as well. Jess, is there any theater you've seen lately that you
2: might be able to recommend? God, I, I am a terrible theater-goer lately. I don't know what it is. Um, well, so the most recent show that I have seen, though I have seen it a couple times now, is Hadestown. And mm, that's a good show. I can't sing its praises enough. It's a, it's a glorious piece of theater. It's written by Aeneas Mitchell, who is not a musical theater writer. She's a folk writer Mm -hmm. and I've been like on the, on the Hadestown train forever. Like I listened to the, the concept album, like all, all of that. And it holds up. It like, it's only gotten better, I think. And, um, sadly Patrick Page as Hades has departed, uh, but I'm, I'm sure they'll find somebody wonderful. You know, it's the story. It's an old song. It's an old song, but it still hits. It still hits so hard. And um, I, you know, everybody has a thing that they do. Like all of the characters have a moment to shine. The ensemble is incredible. The musicians are incredible. Like having them on stage and seeing them perform and acknowledging that they are part of the crew. It's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous piece. And and I I I'd see it. Once a week, if I could, I still gasp at the end every time. I know oh, every it's going to
0: end, and then he doesn't. I'm like, yeah, they tell ah. you, they tell you, and it's still just like, Ugh, but oh, why? Have you seen
2: Lilius White as Hermes? Yes, and she and she's fantastic. I, I've heard she's her. incredible. She's so different from Andre de Shields in so many ways, and I, lo- I love the interpretation. She's, oh, I got to get in to see her. She's a like, little more maternal. She's a little more affectionate. She calls Orpheus baby, but the dynamic between her and Hades is really fun, which I really like. Oh, I, I enjoy it very course. much. It's very different. She's very, very fun. I love it.
0: Let me ask you both this What's your favorite part about working in the theater? And Jess, I want to stick with you first on this one.
1: Well,
2: we kind of already talked about it. It's that connection, you know, to the audience. To each other to the the world around us i i really feel like that's that's what it's for that's what it's there for and you know in a show like hadestown when they come out and they're you know everybody comes out they say hello to the audience they wave and you know lilius white is like flirting with somebody in the front row or you know uh the, the woman playing persephone will offer you her flask jokingly you know like there's that that back and forth that human connection whether it's tragedy or not you know there's there's that connection of a soul almost, I think. That's that's my favorite part. Yes, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. William, I'd love to hear your, your answer again, especially because I, I don't know if it's changed or not, but what is your favorite part about working in the theater?
1: Uh, again, I feel like it's kind of similar to what we've touched on. It's just kind of that group collaboration that is very unique to the theatrical process. Like I love walking into a room and just getting to work with a bunch of people and just like ruminate ideas about how we're going to tell this story. Like I already knew I was going to be in very good hands with Jess because I love them. I've seen them work before and I already knew they were going to bring so much to the table with this piece. But I still loved our first reading with our cast and just how into it they were and the energy they brought. And I always say as a playwright, I always say that the actors read the characters better than I wrote them Mm because just that feeling of getting to hear the lines out and just how they interpret your characters and how they play with them. And it's just, it's so fun to see like the skeleton finally become a character.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. A thousand times. (laughs) I want to ask you both my favorite question to ask our guests, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? Uh, and I'm gonna start with William on this one. Uh, do you have another memory you might be able to share with us?
1: Yeah. Different to the one I shared on the podcast. I will say that, so like I mentioned earlier, senior year of college, I went to school for acting and I was just so burnt out just due to like personal things happening in my life on top just the nature of being a senior in college. Like, I was just stressed out. I was in a very weird mental place, both as a human and as an artist, just because in college, I... And it kind of happens with theater departments where, like, people know your personality and they cast you based on that. And so I was very much cast a lot of the time, which I am grateful for getting cast, but it would just be, like, very, like... Not necessarily silly, but very like empty headed characters or just very bland, nice guys, Mm -hmm. which again is fine and dandy, but it was just such a weird thing for me. I was like, so when I graduated, uh, the same theater company that I met Jess with, they were doing auditions for Columbinus, which I went in, I auditioned and I ended up getting cast as Eric Harris, which was very much an intense role, but it wasn't even necessarily the role that mattered. It was just, I walked in to that room and everyone was just so friendly and supportive. And we were all there to tell the story. And also just, it was kind of that sense of community that I felt I needed and just to be uplifted by other artists and say, we trust you to do your job. We trust you to tell the story. So yeah that production still stands out in my mind as just a highlight of me as an actor sorry that was very rambly
0: (laughs) no 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 that was great i was hanging on your every word i have to ask columbine this is that anything like anything to do with columbine
1: yes so it was i forget what the company was called but it was a devised piece as a response to the columbine shooting and it's a very intense play so The first act starts out with, we're all playing stereotypes because it's supposed to take place in any high school in America. And so, but then the second act takes place in actual Columbine. So the character of Freak turns into Eric Harris. And it was a very intense show. But again, we had a very good group of people in the room. We had a very good director and we were all just, it was a heavy show, but like, when you have a good group of people working behind it, it still is one of my favorite experiences. Like that, because that show could have easily just been like, I am traumatized and just dealing with a lot of things and not getting the support I need. But no, I that group made that show far superior than what it could have been.
0: Oh, that's so good to hear. But what a what a hard show to do. What a hard subject to
2: to to perform about. Jess, how about you? What is your favorite theater memory? So first, that production of Columbinus, I did see that production and it was intense. And I really do feel like you get that, that emotional connection that we were talking about, like that piece is, woof, it's hard. But um, <laughs> my, my favorite theater memories are actually just really silly ones um, from being an, an audience member. So, I went to see Wicked uh, with my family. So uh, I have an older sister and I went with my mother and my dad. My youngest sister was up in college and she wasn't interested, so it doesn't matter. But anyway, (laughs) so we're all three of us. So it's my dad, my mom, my sister and me. And we're watching Wicked and she's defying gravity. And we're all of us sitting there trying not to show how much we are crying all three of us and the lights come up and it's intermission and my dad looks at us and he's just like, what is wrong with you? And we're all just <laughs> sobbing. He doesn't get it at all. It was wonderful. <laughs> and then another several, several years later, my uh, my older sister and I went to go see Madame Butterfly uh, at the, uh, it's the, the Met does the live in HD mm. at the movie theaters and all that. So we're sitting there we unfortunately were a little close to the screen we were the youngest ones there by far but it was okay because we were going to see madam butterfly so we're sitting there and we're watching the previews and we're listening to renee do all her introductions and stuff renee fleming and then the show is about to start and the overture starts and me and my sister immediately burst into tears like the show hasn't even started but you just hear the
1: and we were just sobbing oh wow i didn't even know you were a crier when it came to the theater oh god
2: yeah oh so i saw i saw once on this island twice uh in the most recent revival yep. and both times i was hysterical at how could end. you
0: not how could you not I, start pulling oh. that bowl up and the way the music hits
2: you and she's you a run. tree oh. god i am no i really am and like I have I had know that show inside and out. I love that show. And still, still, it's just like she's a tree. They turned her into a tree. And I'm just like sobbing and I'm clapping. And like the the actors are so close. They must be like, This woman is insane. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, so, so happy.
1: I'm a big crier, Billy. Oh my god. Oh god. See, I wish I was a crier. Like, I don't know what <laughs> happened to me. My I feel like I was very much the product of like my parents were like, boys don't cry. So literally, Ugh. I don't know what happened. Like, age 10, I literally cannot cry, like, at all. And it's so weird. Junkie and a will fix
0: that. Are there any other productions <laughs> or projects that your companies have or that you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you?
1: I mentioned this, I think, last time on the podcast. Um, I don't have anything set in stone still, but. I am planning on doing a reading of another play of mine, The Many Gay Adventures of Nicholas Laurenstein. Nice. I'm trying to do an in-person reading of it in Pride, during Pride in the City. So hopefully more details to come on that once I book a venue. <laughs> if our
0: listeners want more information about um, Lizzie Borden Life After Death or about either of you, or maybe they want to contact you, how can they do that?
1: So for Lizzie Borden, Life After Death, we have a Facebook group. So that's Lizzie Borden, Life After Death, uh, and in parentheses, a virtual reading. So that'll have information there. And if you'd like to buy tickets, um, they're available at Brown Paper Tickets. Uh, Search Lizzie Borden, Life After Death. It'll be live on January the 28th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And if you can't make the live date, if you buy a ticket, the recording will be up for a week for you to watch at your leisure.
2: Uh, I mean, if you want to follow me on Twitter as it sinks into the ocean of I disaster, uh, you can follow me at Bardic Bell B A R D I C B E L L E. Yes, I'm a D and D nerd, as is Billy. I'm outing him.
1: There's no need to out. I'm proud. <laughs> I am a dice goblin. <laughs> but, Yeah, I guess for personals for me, um, you can find my Wix site, which is. It's a uh, Williamdmuir.wicksite.com. Because again, I still have not paid for the domain. And if you want to reach out to me personally, you can find me on Instagram. It's billy underscore m97.
0: Perfect. Well, Jess, William, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me this evening and for just sharing the amazing conversation and this fascinating new show i'm so excited about the reading of it i can't wait to uh to hear the story of lizzie borden life after death thank you guys well, thank you thank andrew you.
2: this was fun
0: my guests today have been the playwright william muir and director jess reed who are working together on the new play, Lizzie Borden, Life After Death, which is having a virtual reading on YouTube on January 28th, 2023 at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, It's going to be available for one week after that. uh, So basically through February 4th. And you can get more information about the show by checking out their Facebook group, Lizzie Borden Life After Death, and in parentheses, virtual reading. Or you can get tickets for the show by going to Brown Paper Tickets and searching Lizzie Borden Life After Death. Also make sure you follow these two amazing artists uh, to stay up to date with all their amazing projects and performances. Uh, You can follow Jess on Twitter at Bardic Bell. And William, you can check out his website, William D. Muir dot wicksite.com or on Instagram at Billy underscore M97. And we will have all of that information on our episode description as well as on our social media. But the important part you need to know is get your tickets now for this amazing reading. You do not want to miss this fascinating, terrifying, wonderful story. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the
2: theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you.
1: If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe.
0: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod,
1: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod@gmail.com. at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Mela and Billy Murray.